Thank you, Pastor Brian. It's so great to be here this morning. My wife, Jen, and I are three daughters. We're just thrilled at the opportunity to come to your church family and serve alongside you. It's just, it's just a great, great moment for us this morning. My wife, Jen, and I have been married for nine years. We have three beautiful daughters. Holly's five, Leah's three, Maria's nine months. And it's just been a thrill for us to to start this journey of parenting. It brings a lot of fun and excitement to life. There's never a dull moment. And I want to tell you a little bit about my, my story this morning as well before we go into the message this morning. I was born and raised in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, just north of Montana. And I had a great upbringing, an awesome church family, loving Christian parents. I actually put my faith in Jesus Christ at a very young age as a young child. One Sunday, we had a guest speaker at our church. He gave a really clear gospel message that morning. I talked to my parents about it all day, and that evening, at my bedside with my mom and dad, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, my parents gave me an opportunity all along the way to affirm that commitment and to have experiences of renewal in my life. I think one of the first of those was when I was a young child, hearing my grandfather, C.P. Kaler, preach in rural churches in Saskatchewan. I think that that moment gave me a passion for God's word and kind of was the seed in my calling, I feel, into ministry to serve the church at a young age. From there, I had great experiences, youth retreats, athletes in action, basketball camps, uh, so many opportunities to affirm my faith in Christ. I was baptized in my later teen years. That was an exciting time, you know, to give a public profession of my faith at church, in front of many of my unbelieving friends at the time. And then after high school, went off to college, ended up feeling like, you know, I need a bit of an adventure in life now. I'm in my early 20s. I ended up moving to Fresno. Came from Canada (laughs) to Fresno. You may not think of Fresno as, hey, why did you come here for adventure? But to me, this was the epitome of adventure, okay? Um, The warm weather was very, very attractive. Um, You know, nine months of cold winter, and these summers are nothing. I'm telling you, they're great. So I moved to Fresno. I went to Fresno Pacific University. Uh, I graduated there with a bachelor's degree in, in business and another major in biblical studies. Had a great experience there. Met my wife right before my senior year there. And all along the while, I had connected at Mountain View Community Church. Been attending and serving there for over a decade. And that was a great, great experience a great place for equipping. They really believe in developing leaders. So I was super blessed to be there. And more recently, um, I've been working in sales for a local curriculum company. And simultaneous with that, I started my seminary studies. I take a class online at Multnomah, typically one a semester. Then I cut back on my working hours. In the last couple of years, I went full-time via online classes and intensive format classes traveling to Portland, Oregon, to Multnomah, and also doing a two-year pastoral ministry internship at Mountain View, primarily at their Sunnyside campus. So that's been a phenomenal experience. We've seen many people come to faith in Christ in the last couple of years there, serving in that community. So it's been very, very exciting, and I'm excited to be here this morning. This morning we're going to talk about forgiveness. And as I was thinking about forgiveness, I couldn't help but think about the ways I've received this this gift of forgiveness in my life. I remember when I, was, when I was 16 years old, I just got my driver's permit. I was the first in my group of friends to get my driver's permit. We call it a driver's license in Canada. Maybe you call that here too. I was so excited. 
And I, was, I had the privilege and the joy of driving this beautiful 1990 Astro van with all my friends. Uh, totally, you know, fit six, seven friends in there. So I was so excited one day. I just got my driver's permit. I'm backing out of our driveway with all my friends. We're excited. We're going to go do something crazy like mini golf or something. And I back right into a 1967 immaculate mint condition Mustang. Um, my, my heart skipped a beat. I thought, this is it. Interestingly enough, the week before, my first week of having my driver's permit, I got a speeding ticket. I had a bit of a lead foot. So I had just come back from an interview with the Canadian DMV where I pleaded my case and they expressed mercy and forgiveness to me, and now I back into this other car. So what happened next was amazing. The owner of the car, I fessed up. The owner of the car put his arm around me and said, hey, you know, I restored this car once. I know how to do it again. No worries. Not going to document this. I'll take care of it. You know, bless you. So could not believe it. I experienced forgiveness on a, on a profound level there at a young age. I'll never forget that. And we're going to look at forgiveness this morning in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. It's a parable. It's a story. We're going to be looking at 21 through 35 in 18. And, you know, Jesus used parables to communicate and illustrate profound divine truths to those who had a genuine hunger for God. In other words, parables were told so that only those who really cared would grapple with their meaning and come to know the truth. So this is an interesting parable in, in chapter 18. It takes place within the broader context of Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's moving towards Jerusalem where he's going to go to the cross. And it's in the context of a teaching on church, restorative church discipline prior to this parable, and then following this parable, some teaching about divorce. Interestingly enough, both of which involve issues of forgiveness. So Jesus is teaching about forgiveness through a story. And this was a common way to teach among rabbis of the day. And a parable involving kings with servants, that was kind of the norm. So would you please rise and stand with me as we read, as we read God's word. We'll be in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I'll read through the entire passage and we'll come back to it throughout the message. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please, be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servants! 
I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Please be seated. What a, what a fascinating story and a narrative about forgiveness and the extent of forgiveness. You know, it's interesting, many times with parables, Jesus is addressing a crowd and then later he'll pull his disciples aside and kind of open it up for them and explain aspects of the parable. Here Jesus is simply sharing a story in response to a question that the Apostle Peter brings to him. And you know, Peter asks a pretty practical question. He says, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? In that time period, in their culture, among the Jewish people, the norm, rabbis would say, would be about three times. If somebody committed an offense against you, a premeditated offense, sinned against you, forgive them three times. So when Peter suggests seven times, you know, the biblical number of completeness, he thinks he's being generous. He thinks, wow, this is, this is really generous on my part to suggest seven times. And then Jesus says, no, not, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, Jesus isn't saying here, okay, on the 491st time, don't forgive anybody. But what he's saying is that as believers in him, we must always be ready to forgive from our heart. I mean, this was a countercultural concept then, and I believe it is today. This matter speaks deeply to our culture today as well. I mean, think about how we typically treat people. We like to think, especially as followers of Jesus, that we're forgiving people. The reality is oftentimes we will forgive people a few times, but when they, when they let us down, we have a tendency to kind of pigeonhole them and write them off. Not so with Jesus. Jesus isn't like that. You see, God does not ask us to do anything he isn't willing to do. A disciple's forgiveness should be unlimited. This is point number one in your outline. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he's not willing to do. You know, our society is just shocked when we express forgiveness, but Jesus wants us to cultivate this in our life. Jesus goes on further to explain the story, the parable of the unforgiving debtor, unforgiving servant. In verses 23 and 24, Jesus says, You know, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money. And in the process, one of these debtors was brought in who owed him him millions of dollars. Now, in that time period, there was typically these people that would be called tax farmers. And they would bid on collecting taxes in the region as servants of the king, make a healthy profit, and then fork over the money to the king. So it's likely that this is what Jesus is alluding to in the passage So this tax farmer had collected money, but had gotten into a lot of debt. And uh, this was a massive debt, one that he could never repay. Uh, In fact, historical documents show that this debt was so big that it was more than all the money that was in the the circulation at that time. So this this imagery of forgiveness, this emphasis on God's mercy is really there in the story, because this is more money than even existed, and the debt was forgiven. Verse 24 says this was millions of dollars. More literally, this was 10,000 talents. It was just a massive amount of money. It emphasized the sheer level of the king's graciousness 
in dealing with him. Verse 25, the king orders that the servant be sold, his wife, his children, his belongings. I mean, can you imagine that? That would just be super depressing, demoralizing. That's shocking. And we think, you know, that was then. What about now? But, you know, as we think about today, many areas of the world, this is still happening with human trafficking. This is the norm in other places today as well. We need to be aware of this as followers of Jesus and work against that. Verse 25, the king says, sell everything. And verse 26, he says, please be patient with me. The servant says, I will pay this back to you. Now, here's a bit of, here's a, bit of a picture into this guy's mindset. He's offering to pay it all back. It's impossible. You know, you'd think that he would just throw himself at the king's mercy but instead, he's, he's trying to convince the king, I will pay this back to you. And that's our first glimpse that this situation is not really sinking into his heart. He's not ready to receive this forgiveness. He's still thinking he can get out of this some way. He can work himself out of this somehow. He's looking for a pardon, and he's offering to achieve it on his own. And I can't help but think in our lives how often we relate to God in that way. We try to achieve something. We try to achieve God's favor and grace in our life when he simply wants to pour it out upon us when we come to him. While the king extends this extreme graciousness and has pity on him, he forgives him, he releases him, and it's a beautiful picture of God's forgiveness to us. You see, the magnitude of God's saving grace is the proper model for forgiveness. Point number two, the magnitude of God's grace is the model for forgiveness. You know, when we repent and we receive forgiveness in Jesus Christ, he pours out this saving grace upon us. If we let that sink in, we can't help but let that spill out towards others. You know, Romans 3.23 says, everybody's fallen short of God's glorious standard. But you know, the magnitude of God's saving grace and forgiveness is also glorious for those that turn to him. So the servant does not put this model of forgiveness into practice. Verse 28, when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Now, man, how hypocritical is this? He had such a massive debt forgiven. The more literal translation of this is 100 denarii. That was about a day's wage. A matter of sense in our, in our modern term. Unbelievable. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Now, before we're too quick to judge the behavior of this servant. I mean, think about, think about your own life. How many times have you had just this phenomenal experience in your morning devotions, really connected with God and the scriptures, and then somehow by the afternoon you find yourself just being ruthless with people? Um, you know, that happens. We need to be aware of that. Verse 29 says, His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. Does this sound familiar? This is exactly what the first servant said to the king. And he was let off the hook. Now the second servant is saying it to the first servant. And the first servant is showing who he really is, the core of who he really is. He has not truly had a real understanding of forgiveness. You see, offering unlimited forgiveness while demonstrating mercy towards others is a reflection of a right relationship with God. That's point number three. It's a right relationship with God. When we offer this to other people, it's a, re- it's a reflection of what we've already received. 
of receiving God's mercy and grace. You know, as followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, living in us. We know the Holy Spirit wants to make us more and more like Jesus in our lives. And it's not impossible. This is what he's committed to doing as we keep in step with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. This is something we can do. This is not unattainable for us to walk in forgiveness. It's such a gift that we have the Comforter, the Holy Spirit with us. I'm sure you've heard by now in the last couple of weeks the terrible situation in South Carolina. I believe you prayed for that as a congregation last week. A shooting that killed nine at the African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Terrible situation. Tragic. A reminder of the, the brokenness that still exists in our, our world and the healing that we still need as a country. What's interesting about this situation is a, about a week ago, there was the court arraignment where, where Bond was posted and the killer appeared via a video feed. And in the courtroom, families of the victims were there. And their, their response, their comments to this, to this killer were unbelievable. I've got, a, I've got a quote here. It's going to be on the screen from Anthony Thompson. He's a family member of one of the, one of the victims in this ruthless killing. This is what Anthony Thompson said after losing a family member. This is what he said to the killer in the courtroom. He said, I forgive you and my family forgives you. We would like you to take this opportunity to repent, repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters most, Christ, so he can change your ways no matter what happens to you and you'll be okay. Do that and you'll be better off than you are right now. I mean, can you imagine Where does that come from? Where does that posture of forgiveness come from in such a ruthless circumstance? It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit in this man's life. What what a witness to the world. You know, after that, I like to peruse Twitter a little bit. Twitter was blowing up. People could not believe what this family and the other families, in fact, all nine of them, how they communicated this forgiveness. It was unbelievable. Well-known people, politicians, celebrities, other people were chiming in saying, you know what, I'm not a Christian, but this is crazy. This is some kind of advertisement for following this Jesus character. You know, what an impact that had. We might not know the full impact of that statement by this man until eternity. Unbelievable. This This is an example of somebody who has experienced forgiveness and can freely pour that out on a massive scale. The story continues, the parable in verses 31 to 35, with the consequences for the first servant's hypocrisy and his inability to express forgiveness. You see, the other servants become aware of this. They tell the king, the king is livid. Middle of verse 32 and following, he says, You evil servant, I forgave you this tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't have you had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Jesus finishes the story by telling us that this angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Not only that, but Jesus goes on to say in verse 35, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brother, your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now this is difficult. Forgiveness from the heart. This is more than just uttering the words. This is coming from the core of who you are as somebody who's been washed clean by Jesus. 
This is difficult for us, even as followers of Jesus. You know, think about sometimes you're going about your day. You think, hey, I'm, I'm good with people. I don't, I'm not holding any bitterness or unforgiveness. And then somebody crosses your, your sight path and you feel this little twinge. And it's bitterness. You've got some underlying bitterness against people or some unforgiveness. It's just reality. We, we struggle with this. Um, Jesus wants us to forgive from our hearts. We have to be aware of that. You see, if we're, un, if we're unwilling to love well and forgive others, we will be assured a miserable existence. That's point number four. We'll be assured a miserable existence. Think about how you feel when you consciously decide not to forgive somebody. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can be sure the Holy Spirit's going to be working on you over time. But in that moment that you decide, I'm going to hold on to this bitterness, I'm going to hold on to this unforgiveness, you feel miserable. It really is a torturous situation. And you know, this, it's, this statement in verse in verse 35, this is what my Father will do to you if you don't forgive. It's a tough saying of Jesus. You know, it's, be, it's become fashionable in our society to come across hard sayings of Jesus and do some interpretive gymnastics to kind of soften the message. And I don't, I don't want to do that for us today. I want us to feel, feel the weight of a statement like this. Because ultimately, I think when we are willing to accept God in all of his attributes, his holiness, his justice, alongside his grace and his mercy, that drives us to Jesus' grace and mercy. So let's feel the weight of this statement. Jesus takes forgiveness very seriously, but he doesn't leave us in despair. He wants us to walk it out. You know, this is consistent with Jesus' prior teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others... Your Father will not forgive your sins. This is consistent with the way Jesus taught and believed. And now look at how Jesus even lives this out. Look at his posture on the cross. In Luke 23, 34a, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus is dying on the cross, and his posture towards people is forgiveness, longing for them to turn to the one true God in repentance, experience his grace and mercy. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. This is how Jesus wants us to posture our lives towards others as well. Forgive, forgiving people out of a true heart of compassion because of what we've received in Christ. I've got a kind of a zany picture of my kids I want to show you right now. There they are. Holly on the left, little one Marie, Leah. You know, they're, they're great kids. They can be a little wild. I mean, honestly, they're kind of in that toddler phase. Lots of fun, exciting things happening at home. And um, earlier this week, I was working on this sermon, preparing. They were in their bedroom playing with their little kitchen set, having a good time. And all of a sudden, I hear this object kind of flying through the air. <laughs> Crash, bam, and a shrill scream, followed by... I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? It was just, I'm thinking, okay, I'm working on a sermon on forgiveness, and I'm hearing my kids beg for forgiveness for one another. But the thing was, it, it, you know, not to be harsh on them, but it was this kind of this rote thing, like just spitting out the words, trying to make the situation right really quick. And it just reminded me, you know, forgiveness has to be from the heart. And I, I love my kids' hearts. They, they truly do want to 
learn to walk in the ways of Jesus. But it was a good reminder, a good teaching moment. You know, let's slow the situation down to pull them aside and talk about the situation and then let, a, let an apology and asking for forgiveness flow out of the heart rather than just spinning it off so quickly like that. It was a good reminder to me about forgiveness from the heart. Now, I don't want to gloss over the fact that forgiveness is difficult. You know, I mean, we live in a fallen world. It's full of violence. It's full of abuse. It's full of the breakdown of relationships on many levels. But that said, practically speaking, how can we cultivate lives and attitudes of forgiveness towards others in light of this? It's a tough, tough world out there. Colossians 3.13 says this, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Because remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now here's the key. The context of that verse is putting on the new nature. It's living out our new nature clothed with the fruit of the Spirit. Experiencing the peace of Christ through the Holy Spirit in unity with other Christians. So, Practically speaking, we cannot live a forgiving lifestyle towards others if we're not in tune with the Holy Spirit, if we're not keeping in step with the Spirit. Rather than quenching the Spirit, resisting the Spirit, we're embracing the Holy Spirit in our life. The result of that is the fruit of the Spirit. Forgiveness is going to flow from that. So how do we, how do we forgive others? I think just like the story, just like the parable of the unforgiving servant, We forgive someone when we're willing to cancel the debt someone owes us for the wrong done to us. We've got to be willing to cancel that debt. You know, it's not really forgive and forget. It's more like forgive and don't hold a grudge. Easier said than done. It's forgive and don't hold a grudge. And the way that we frame this, the way that we experience this, the way that we tap into the power of the Spirit to do this is by meditating on Christ, what he's done for us. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, he's wiped the slate clean. He's forgiven your sins. So how can we, having experienced such grace, such mercy, such favor in our lives from Jesus, how how can we continue to hold those grudges against people? I know it's difficult, but we can do this. We have the power of the Spirit in our life. So think about what this person owes you what they took from you in the situation that caused this hurt, this pain, this bitterness, this unforgiveness. And then recognize God's great grace and forgiveness that's been extended to you. When you do that, God's peace, His power is going to flood your heart and then you can turn away from your bitterness and unforgiveness towards this person. It's often helpful to, to think about what lies has the enemy been planting in my mind that I've really latched on to about this situation of bitterness, unforgiveness. And as you pray, renounce those lies. Fill your mind with the Word of God, with the truth of the Word of God. Renounce the lies that have, that have led you to believe that you can walk in this bitterness. If you've responded poorly to this person in the past, it may be a good idea to reach out to them and ask for forgiveness if that's appropriate. And then ultimately, you release you release that person from the debt toward you. And tell God this as well. Say, God, I'm forgiving this person. Just like you release the debt that I had towards you, 
You forgave my sins. I'm releasing this person. I forgive them. And finally, this is also a difficult thing to do, but something that's very scriptural with Jesus' teaching. Rejoice over this forgiveness and pray for the person. Jesus said even pray for your enemies. Now, I'm not saying everybody that you have unforgiveness towards, you you feel like they're an enemy. But if we can pray for our enemies, we can surely pray for people that we have deep-seated bitterness towards, issues of unforgiveness. We can do this. We can do this because Jesus is committed to making us more like him through his spirit. I'd like to invite the worship team forward right now. And as we think about forgiveness, I came across an interesting quote by Pastor Tim Keller. I think it really encompasses the spirit of forgiveness. This is what Tim Keller says about it. He says, Mercy and forgiveness must be free and unmerited to the wrongdoer. If the wrongdoer has something to merit it, has to do something to merit it, then it isn't mercy. But if forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one granting forgiveness, but forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one granting the forgiveness. So, you see, it was costly for, for the Father. He had to send his only Son so that we could experience forgiveness. Jesus had to set aside his divine rights and privileges to go to the cross. It was costly. And when we want to walk in forgiveness, we have to be willing to set aside our perceived right to hold a grudge and offer forgiveness. We have to release people. And we can do this with real joy, knowing that we've been forgiven. I just want to challenge you this morning, as we continue to think about this parable of the unforgiving servant, the great mercy, forgiveness that was lavished upon him. What is God saying to us through this story today? Sometimes our bitterness and unforgiveness is really clear because, like I said, we just feel miserable. We know we have this issue that we need to work with, with this person we need to forgive. Other times we're not as aware of it until we ask God the question, God, is there anybody that I have bitterness towards or unforgiveness towards that you want me to forgive this morning? So I challenge you, Even now, as we close in this song, ask God by his spirit to speak to you, to reveal someone that you need to make things right with. God wants to do that by his power. And also, I encourage you, if you'd like to pray with someone, there will be some people from the prayer team available at the back to pray with you, now and following the service as well. Let's be known as a church community that forgives, that loves to forgive one another, that forgives our family, our church our neighbors, our friends. We're going to walk in the power of God's grace through forgiveness. And finally, I want to challenge you. If you're here today and you're thinking, I just want to know peace with God. I just want to know that God loves me, that God has a plan for me, that he cares about me. I want him to, t- to take my life, change it, save me, and make me a new person. I challenge you, turn, turn to Jesus. Turn away from your sin Give it to him. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. And ask him to come into your life. Put your faith in Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. And he wants to lead you. He wants to be the leader of your life. So you're going to have an opportunity to to do that as well this morning. Would you please bow with me as we pray? Father God, we're so thankful, God, for your great grace and mercy in our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we have access to 
to the powerful words of truth in your book. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to earth to save us, to set aside his rights, his divine rights, to go to the cross for us. And thank you that he hasn't left us powerless, but he's given us his Holy Spirit. And God, we want to be forgiving people. God, we want to be a church that experiences your love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and pours it out upon the ends of the earth, God. May we shine for you as a church community by loving the community around us, by offering forgiveness to people, by pointing people to you, by walking people into your presence, God. And God, would you forgive us for the bitterness that we tend to walk in? God, wash us clean. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you paid for all of this on the cross, that we can trust in you. With every eye closed and head bowed right now, I just want to invite you, if you want to put your faith in Christ this morning, if you want to speak with a prayer team member about what it looks like to follow Jesus, to turn from your sins and to follow Jesus, simply look at me and raise your hand real quick. We'd love to pray with you this morning. For the rest of us, let's, let's be people that walk in gratitude towards Jesus. And out of that overflow of gratitude, we can be forgiving people. God, we give praise to your name. Fill us with your spirit this morning as we walk in forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.